Hi, and welcome to the Book of Rulebooks. My name is Mathieu Labrosse, and today I'll read to you Chapter 23, War of the Ring, 2nd Edition, a game by Roberto Di Meglio, Marco Maggi, and Francesco Nepitello, and published by Iris Games. Everywhere he looked, he saw the signs of war. The misty mountains were crawling like anthills. Orcs were issuing out of thousand holes. Under the boughs of Birkwood, there was deadly strife of elves and men and fell beasts. The land of Beornings was aflame. A cloud was over Moria. Smoke rose on the borders of Lorien. Horsemen were galloping on the grass of Rohan. Wolves poured from Isengard. From the havens of Arad ships, of war put out at sea. And out of the east men were moving endlessly, swordsmen, spearmen, bowmen upon horses, chariots of chieftains and laden wains. All the power of the Dark Lord was in motion. The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Book 2, Chapter 10 Subchapter 1 Introduction Welcome to the War of the Ring strategy board game. War of the Ring is a game for 2 to 4 players, based on J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. The players take part in the struggles of the armies of the Free Peoples and the heroic companions of the Fellowship of the Ring against the Dark Host of the Shadow and the powerful minions of the Dark Lord. In a two-player game, each opponent will lead either the Free Peoples or the armies of the Shadow, while in a three- or four-player game, the players will be organized in two teams, each team controlling either faction. In each game of the War of the Ring, the player controlling Shadow attempts to use his superior military power to conquer Middle-earth. At his command gather Sauron's legions of orcs and trolls, the forces of the wizard Saruman, and the hosts of the Southrons and Easterlings, set to bring darkness over the West. Against this onslaught, the Free People's player leads an allegiance of elves, dwarves, the Riders of Rohan, Men of Gondor, and the Men of the North. A fragile union trying to defend the last free realms of Middle-earth and to gain precious time to allow the success of the quest of the Ring-Bearers. While armies clash, the nine companions of the Fellowship of the Ring travel towards the very heart of the domains of the Dark Lord, Mount Doom, to destroy the One Ring in the Mountain of Fire. Controlled by the Free People's player, the Fellowship is his true chance of winning as the military forces of the Shadow will be vanquished together with their master if the ring is undone. But the quest is fraught with ever greater perils as the darkness falls over Middle-earth. In the end, one side will emerge victorious. If the Shadow conquers enough of its enemies' cities and strongholds, or if the ring-bearers fail and are corrupted, darkness will triumph. If the Fellowship succeeds in destroying the ring before this happens, or the armies of the Free Peoples succeed in turning the tide and conquering the enemy's strongholds themselves, 
the fall of the Dark Lord is at hand. Number of players. War of the Ring is a game for two to four players. The forces involved in the conflict are divided into two sides, the Free Peoples and the Shadow. When playing with three players, one player controls the Free Peoples and the remaining two control the Shadow, sharing tasks. When playing with four players, all participants evenly share the forces of the two sides. Please note that these rules refer to games played with only two players. To play games with more than two players, see the chapter 11, Multiplayer Rules, which will all be explained later. Notes on the second edition. This new edition of the game introduces a few subtle but important changes from the first edition. They are summarized here for the benefit of players already familiar with the first edition. For the character abilities, Gandalf the Grey, Gollum, Meriadoc Brandybuck, Peregrine Took, and the Witch King now have modified special abilities. You can see their character cards to see those differences. The changes to Gandalf the Grey and the Witch King are especially important to take notice of. As for the event cards, many event cards have been revised to improve their effectiveness or simplify their use. The Ends Awake, Path of the Woeses, and the Last Battle cards have modified effects. For the army setup, the setup for the dwarves has been modified. For the action dice, the shadow player must allocate a minimum of one action die to the hunt if the free people's player placed at least one action die in the hunt box in previous turn. For the use of combat cards, combat cards are now chosen and played using a modified sequence. As for the hunt, there is a new sequence for the hunt resolution to streamline the application of event cards and special abilities. And finally, for entering Mordor, to enter Mordor, it is now sufficient that the ring bearers are located in Minas Morgul or Metanon without the requirement of declaring the fellowship. As a consequence, the fellowship can enter Mordor even if it is not hidden. That concludes the differences from the first edition. Now, onto the rules for the full game of War of the Ring 2nd edition. Subchapter 2 Game Components The Game Pieces To better understand the different rules that applies to those pieces, we'll go over each type in more details. Plastic Figures The armies fighting for Middle-earth and the heroes and monsters that lead them are represented in the game by plastic figures. Armies the bulk of the harm forces of a nation are represented by army units. The army units of a nation are further divided into either regular or elite units, where the first category represents a fighting force of average warriors and the second a host of chosen fighters or powerful monsters. A single army unit corresponds to a variable number of warriors from a few hundred expert fighters to thousands of orcs. In game terms, all units of a kind, either regular or elite, have the same fighting capabilities as any other of the same kind, regardless of the nation they belong to. All army units 
inside a single region and controlled by the same player are considered a large group and are collectively called an army. An army can be composed of a maximum of 10 units or 5 units if the army is inside a stronghold under siege. Free People's Leaders The captains and chieftains leading the armies of the Free Peoples are represented by leader figures. Leaders are unable to move on their own and must always be part of a friendly army. If at any time a leader is on the map without an army, he is immediately removed. The presence of a leader in an army provides an advantage in combat and a superior movement capabilities. There is no limit to the number of leaders who can be in the same army. Free people's leaders, regardless of nationality, can lead armies composed of units from any free people's nation. A leader is not considered an army unit and cannot be taken as a casualty, nor does the presence of a leader add to the combat strength of an army. The Nazgul The Nazgul, also called ring rates, act as the leaders for the shadow armies and each is represented by the distinctive ring rate figure mounted on a winged beast. The rules pertaining to the free people's leaders also apply to the Nazgul, with the following exceptions. The Nazgul are not obliged to be part of a friendly army and can move on their own, flying to any region, even regions containing free people's units, on the game board with a single movement. There is one exception to this. A Nazgul moving without an army cannot be placed alone in an enemy-controlled stronghold. The Nazgul are unaffected by the presence of an enemy army in the same region. The Characters The main heroes of the story and the main antagonists are represented by character figures. Characters are personalities with abilities superior to those of simple leaders. Characters belonging to the Free Peoples are called companions, while the characters of the Shadow are called minions. Each character is represented by a unique figure and a character card detailing his special abilities. Players should carefully read all of the character cards before playing the game. In game terms, characters act much the same as leaders, but they do not suffer the same restrictions and can move on the game board on their own, ignoring the presence of enemy armies. For the companions, you'll find Legolas, Gimli, Boromir, Aragorn as Strider, Meriadoc, Peregrine, and Gandalf the Grey, which all start the game as companions of Frodo and Sam, which are the two ring bearers, and the members of the Fellowship of the Ring. As the game progresses, they can leave the Fellowship to help rouse the Free People's nations to war and to act as leaders for the Free People's armies. Under certain conditions, as described on their character cards, Striders and Gandalf the Grey can be replaced by their more powerful incarnations, which are Aragorn, Heir to Isildur, and Gandalf the White. When this happens, put the appropriate marker under the plastic figure of the character to remember his new status. For the minions, the more prominent servants of the Dark Lord, you'll find Saruman, the Witch King, and the Mouth of Sauron, 
they do not start in play at the beginning of the game. They will enter play later, under the conditions specified on their character cards. And finally, you'll find Gollum. Gollum is a very unusual character. Gollum is always assumed to be following the Fellowship of the Ring, and he becomes the guide of the Fellowship if the Ring Bearers are alone. When this happens, you may place the Gollum figure together with the Ring Bearers figure as a reminder of his presence. The effects of Gollum's actions are represented in the game by the Gollum character card and certain events cards. The Game Board The Game Board is a view of Western Middle-earth at the end of the Third Age. In addition to the playing area proper, the Game Board also includes several spaces and tracks used to help the players keep track of various elements and components of the game. The diagram which you'll find in the rulebook identifies its various parts and shows the space where many of the components needed at the start of the game are placed during setup. The different regions of Middle-earth which you'll find on the game board is the region for the dwarves, which is brown, the elves, which has a light green, Gondor, which is dark blue, the north, which is light blue, the Rohan, which is dark green, Isengard, which is yellow, the Sauron region, which is red, and the Southrons and Easterlings region, which are both orange. The Regions The main portion of the game board shows a view of Western Middle-earth at the end of the Third Age. The map is divided into territories called regions. Each region is identified by a name, which usually refers to a site of note or to an entire geographical area, such as Minas Tirith or Cardolan. Regions are used to regulate movement, combat, and the placement of all plastic figures. Regions are normally separated by a white line or by a river between two white lines. A thick black border denotes impassable terrain, which cannot be crossed, usually a high mountain range. If the border between two regions is completely divided by such a line, those regions are not considered adjacent for any purpose. Some areas of the board are completely blue, either surrounded by a black line or bordered by a white line. These areas are seas or lakes. A sea or lake area is not a region and can never be crossed or moved into. The Free Regions The rules and event cards often refer to a free region. A region is free for a player when it doesn't contain an enemy army and or an enemy-controlled settlement. A region containing a stronghold controlled by the enemy is also free for a player when the stronghold is besieged by an army of that player. The Nations Several regions are grouped and identified as nations by their colored borders. Some nations consist of several separate groups of regions, divided and distant from one another. Fortifications and Settlements A region can be empty or contain either a fortification or one of the three types of settlements, which are town, city, 
and strongholds. A fortification in a region offers easily defendable positions, such as a ruin, a fort, or a ford crossing a river. There are two fortifications on the map, in the region of Osgiliath and the fords of Isen. The settlements represent locations that are vital to the economy and defense of a nation. A region containing a settlement gives several advantages to the player controlling it. Towns represent populated areas that allow the recruitment of troops of a specific nation. The presence of a town is shown on the board by the symbol of the appropriate nation. Cities represent major urban centers and can also be used to recruit troops. They also provide an advantage in combat to defending troops. As for the strongholds, they represent fortresses, elven homes, and the greatest capitals of Middle-earth. Troops may be recruited in strongholds, and defenders receive a very strong advantage in battle. Note. Each stronghold on the board is matched by a stronghold box with the same drawing, or with a generic drawing in the case of a shadow stronghold. The reason why will be explained a little later. The cities and strongholds of Middle-earth give victory points to a player who captures them from the enemy. In both cities and strongholds, the color of the frame shows which player initially controls it, which is red for the shadow and blue for the free peoples. The icon in the upper corner shows which nation the city or stronghold belongs to. The sword symbol appearing on a city is a reminder that control of this region is worth one victory point to the opponent. The two-sword symbol appearing on a stronghold is a reminder that control of this stronghold is worth two victory points to the opponent. Unconquered Event cards may refer to an unconquered settlement. A settlement is unconquered if it is controlled by the same player who controlled it at the beginning of the game. A settlement which was captured by the opponent and then recaptured by its original owner is unconquered once again. A stronghold under siege is considered unconquered if the besieged army belongs to the original owner. Tracks and Boxes In addition to the regions of Middle-earth, the game board also contains various boxes and tracks used during the game to keep track of different activities. These areas include the following. The Fellowship Track, to keep track of the progress of the Fellowship and the corruption of the Ring Bearers. It includes the Hunt for the Ring Box, also called the Hunt Box, to display the dice that the Shadow Player allocates to hunt the Fellowship and to keep track of the number of times that the Fellowship moves during a turn. It includes the political track, to keep track of which nations of Middle-earth are at war. It includes the guide of the Fellowship box, to display the character card and the character who is guiding the Fellowship. It includes the Fellowship of the Ring box, also called the Fellowship box, to display the figures and counters of the companions composing the Fellowship. It includes the Elven Rings box to display the Elven Rings counters. 
It includes the event deck boxes to hold the four event card decks. It includes the stronghold boxes to display those army units involved in a siege battle. It includes the army boxes to hold figures when there is not enough space in a region. It includes the victory point track to keep count of the conquest of each player. And it includes the Mordor track, superimposed on the Gorgoroth region of the map, to keep track of the progress of the Fellowship when traveling in Mordor. Subchapter 3 Setting up the game Before you start playing, you should decide who will play the Free Peoples and who will play the Shadow. Then, get the game ready to play by following these steps. Step 1. Place the game board on a suitable surface, possibly large enough to leave some room along the sides of the board to place discarded cards and illuminated pieces and to roll dice. Step 2. Place the ring bearer's figure on Rivendell, its starting point. Step 3. Place the fellowship progress counter on step 0 of the fellowship track with the hidden side up. The Corruption Counter is also placed on Step 0 of the same track. Step 4. Place all companion cards in the Guide of the Fellowship box with the Gandalf the Grey character card on top, as he is the starting guide of the Fellowship. Set aside the cards for Aragorn, Hera to Isildur, and Gandalf the White, and Gollum for later use. Step 5. Place all the companion figures and their counters in the Fellowship of the Ring box. Set aside the Gollum figure for later use. Step 6. Place the three Elden Ring counters in the Free People's Elven Rings box of the game board with the ring side up. Step 7. Set aside all Shadow Minion cards, which are the Witch King, Saruman, and the Mouth of Sauron, and the corresponding figures for later use. Step 8. Separate the Free Peoples and Shadow Event cards into Character and Strategy decks according to the back of each card, shuffle them separately, and place them on the corresponding areas of the game board. Step 9. Put the standard Hunt tile, which is the beige tile, in a cup or other opaque container. This is the Hunt Pool. Set aside the special hunt tiles, which are blue and red, for later use. Step 10. Give 7 red shadow action dice to the shadow player and 4 blue free people's action dice to the free people's player. Set aside the remaining action dice for later use. Set aside the 5 combat dice. Step 11. Place the political counter for each free people's nation on its starting point on the political track. All of the Free People's Nation political counters, except for that of the Elves, are placed with the passive side up. The political counters of the Elves and all the Shadow Army Nations are placed with the active side up. As indicated by the symbols on the track, place the Rohan, the North, the Elven, and the Dwarven Nations political counters in the top box. Place the Gondor and the Southron Easterling political counters in the second box from the top, and finally, place the Sauron and Isengard political counters 
in the third box from the top, immediately above the At War box. And step 12, sort all the plastic figures by their color and their type and follow the army setup diagram in the rulebook to place each nation's initial army units and leaders. Set aside any remaining figures to use as reinforcements, paying attention not to mix them with pieces eliminated from play as the game progresses. Set aside the army counters for use later in the game. Keep all the remaining components in the box. They will be used later in the game. Subchapter 4 The Game Turn War of the Ring is played over a series of turns until either player wins the game. Each turn is divided into six phases. Summary of the turn The phases of a turn are Phase 1, which is recover action dice and draw event cards, in which each player recovers the action dice he used in the previous turn, plus any dice which were added to the action dice pool and minus any dice which were removed from the pool. Then, each player draws two cards, one from each of the respective event decks. The phase two is fellowship phase. The free people's player may now declare the position of the fellowship. If the fellowship is declared in a city or stronghold of a free people's nation, that nation is activated. If the nation is showing passive on the political track, flip the nation to active. Then the ring bearers may be healed. Also, during this phase, the free people's player may change the guide of the fellowship. Next, with phase 3, is the hunt allocation. The shadow player may now place a number of action dice in the hunt box located on the game board. The shadow player must place at least one action die if the free people's player retrieved at least one die from the hunt box during phase 1. He may allocate only as many dice as the number of companions remaining in the fellowship. These dice are not rolled during the following action roll phase. Next, with phase 4, is the action roll. Players roll their action dice, except the dice already in the hunt box. Then, the shadow player immediately takes all the rolled dice showing the eye result and adds them to the hunt box. For the phase 5, is the action resolution. This phase is the primary game phase of the War of the Ring board game. It is during this phase that players will utilize the action dice results to move their characters and armies on the game board or to take other important actions. The results of the rolled action dice dictate the actions the players can take during this phase. Starting with the free people's player, the two players alternate actions, each taking one action by selecting and removing one of his available die results. Each time the free people's player uses an action die to move the fellowship, he places that die in the hunt box after completing the action. All other used dice are set aside until next turn. The use of each different action die is described in more detail later. And finally, the sixth phase is the victory check. Players now check to see whether either player has achieved the military victory conditions and if not, a new game turn begins.
Note: If a ring-based victory condition occurs at any time during a turn, the game ends immediately without waiting for the victory check phase. The action dice. The action dice play a fundamental role in the game as they dictate the options available to each player during a turn. These dice have special icons on their faces, each icon representing a different group of action from which the players may choose. The different numbers and types of icons appearing on the free people's action dice and shadow action dice reflect the different attitudes of the two sides fighting the War of the Ring. The free people's action dice have two faces which show the character action and that on these dice, the army action only appears on a face combined with the muster action. The action dice pool. The total number of action dice rolled by a player in a turn is called his dice pool. The shadow player starts the game with seven dice in his pool, but may gain additional dice later in the game, up to a maximum of 10. These additional action dice enter play when the shadow player brings his minions into the game, one die for Saruman, one die for the Witch King, and one die for the Mouth of Sauron. The Free People's player starts with four dice in his pool. Like the Shadow, he can also gain additional dice later in the game. The Free People's player adds one die to his dice pool when Aragorn, heir to Isildur, enters play, and another one when Gandalf the White appears. Both the Shadow and the Free People's player lose the additional die if the corresponding character is eliminated. When a player gains or loses an action die, the gain or loss becomes effective in the next turn. The dies added to or removed from the dice pool during the recover action dice and draw event cards phase of the following turn. The Hunt's Allocation and Action Roll the shadow player, during the hunt allocation phase, places the number of action dice into the hunt box that he wants to devote to the hunt for the ring. If one or more fellowship action dice were in the hunt box at the end of the previous turn, he must place a minimum of one die in the hunt box. The maximum number of dice he can place in the hunt box is equal to the number of companions currently in the fellowship. Note that the ring bearers are not considered to be a companion and do not add to this maximum. However, the shadow player may always place at least one die in the hunt box, even if all the companions have left the fellowship. The dice placed in the hunt box are not rolled, but the shadow player rolls the remaining dice in his dice pool and all dice showing an eye result are immediately added to the hunt box as well. The Free People's player simply rolls his entire action dice pool. Using the action dice Starting with the Free People's, players alternate actions, selecting one of their action dice and immediately taking the action made available by the specific die result. Each action die is printed with a set of distinctive icons corresponding to different game actions. Each action is detailed later in the rules 
and summarized in the action dice reference chart in the rulebook. When an action has been completed, the corresponding die is considered used and is set aside until needed again for the next turn. The only exception to this rule is that each time the Free People's player uses an action die to move the Fellowship, he places that die in the hunt box after completing the action rather than setting it aside. Note that the die is returned to the Free People's player during the Recover Action Dice and Draw Event Cards phase of the next turn. If a player has fewer unused action dice than his opponent, typically the Free People's player will have fewer action dice than the Shadow player, then he can pass instead of taking an action, thus allowing the opponent to take another action. A player may also choose to skip an action and discard one of his action dice without effect instead of using that die to take an action. If a player runs out of actions before his opponent has done the same, the opponent executes his remaining actions one after the other. This next portion provides a quick summary of the actions that each player can take using action dice. The character action. This die result can be used to execute one of the following actions. The first action is the leader moves or attacks with armies. To do this, move an army with a leader to an adjacent region which must be free for the purpose of army movement, or attack an enemy army in an adjacent region, or conduct a siege battle or sortie using an army with a leader. The next action you can execute with the character action is to play an event card. Play a character event card from your hand. With the character action, there are a few things that only the free peoples can do. The first one is the fellowship progress. Move the fellowship progress counter one step forward on the fellowship track. Then, resolve the hunt for the ring and then place the used action die in the hunt box. The next action that only the free peoples can do with the character action is to hide the fellowship. If the fellowship was previously revealed, it becomes hidden again. The next action only for the free peoples is to separate companions. Separate one companion or one group of companions from the fellowship. The companion figures are removed from the fellowship box and must move on the map, up to a distance from the fellowship equal to the step number on the fellowship track plus the highest companion level. Finally, the final action only the Free Peoples can do with the character action is to move the companions. Move all companions or groups of companions on the map, each up to a number of regions equal to that of the highest companion level in the group. There is only one action that is exclusive to the Shadow player with the character action. That is the move minions. With this, move all Nazgul including the Witch King, anywhere on the map, except into a region that contains a stronghold controlled by the Free Peoples, unless a Shadow Army is besieging it. Then, move other minions according to their level. The next icon on the action die is the Army icon. This die result can be used to execute one of the following actions. First, move armies. 
move up to two different armies from their regions to adjacent regions, which must be free for the purposes of army movement. The next option is the attack an enemy army. Attack an enemy army in an adjacent region with one of your armies, or conduct a siege battle or sortie. And the final option with the army icon is to play an event card. Play an army event card from your hand. The next icon that you'll find on an action die is the muster. This die result can be used to execute one of the following actions. The first one is the diplomatic action. To do this, move the political track of one friendly nation one step forward. For a free people's nation, the step at war can be reached only if the nation is active. The second option is to play an event card. Play a muster event card from your hand. For the nations that are at war, there are a few more options with the muster icon. The first is to recruit reinforcements. Place reinforcements into play according to this. You may place one elite unit in any friendly and free settlement, or two leaders in any two different friendly and free settlements, or two regular units in any two different friendly and free settlements, or one leader and one regular army unit in any two different friendly and free settlements. For the shadow player only, that player may use the muster icon to bring one character into play according to the rules on his character cards. The next icon you'll find on an action die is the event icon. This die result can be used to execute one of the following actions. The first one is to draw an event card. Draw one event card from an event deck of your choice. The second is to play an event card. Play any one event card from your hand, regardless of its type. On the action die, there is one side in which you'll find both the muster and army icons. For this, choose any one action from those listed under muster or army. The special icons. These die results are different on the shadow dice and on the free people's dice. The special icon for the shadow player is the Eye of Sauron. All dice showing the eye must be placed in the hunt box. For the free people's special icon, you'll find the Will of the West. Before taking an action, the free people's player may change a Will of the West result into any other action die result and use it to the same effect as the chosen result. The Will of the West result can also be used to bring into play Gandalf the White and Aragorn Heir to Isildur, according to the rules on their character cards. The Elven Rings At the beginning of the game, the Free People's player receives three counters representing the Elven Rings of Power. He keeps each counter in the Elven Rings box on the game board with the ring side face up until he decides to use it. When the Free People's player uses an Elven Ring, he flips over the counter to show its flaming eye side and gives it to the Shadow player. After the Shadow player uses the counter, 
it is discarded from play. Each elven ring or eye counter can thus be used once by its owner in the following way. When a player is eligible to take an action during the action resolution phase, he may use an elven ring to change the result shown on one of his unused action dice to another action die result of his choice. A player that just used an elven ring to change a die result then proceeds to take a regular action, choosing any one action die result and not necessarily the one he has just changed with the elven ring. He can also skip or pass the action if eligible to do so. The use of an elven ring is subject to the following limitations. First, only one elven ring may be used by the same player during the course of a single turn. Second, the free people's player may not use an elven ring to change an action die to a will of the west result. And third, the shadow player can use an elven ring to change a die result into an eye result. That die is immediately moved to the hunt box. This does not count as an action, so he may then take an action normally. However, he cannot do the opposite and use an elven ring to change a result of an action die already showing an eye result. Subchapter 5 The Event Cards The event cards represent many of the fortunate or unfortunate episodes in The Lord of the Rings, as well as special items, unexpected occurrences, and what ifs. Moreover, each event card can alternatively be used for a special combat effect to be employed in battle. When an event card is used for its combat ability, we refer to the card as a combat card. The Event Decks Each player receives two decks of event cards. His strategy deck, represented graphically by an army banner, and his character deck, represented graphically by a sword. Cards in the strategy deck usually offer military and political options to the player. Cards in the character deck are often related to the fellowship and to the actions of companions and minions on the map. Drawing an event card During the first phase of each game turn, including the first turn, both players must draw one card from each of their decks. It is also possible for players to draw cards from either deck by using an action die result during the action resolution phase. Players may hold a maximum of 6 cards in their hand at any time and must immediately discard those in excess as soon as the maximum number is exceeded. Cards are discarded face down. If a deck is depleted during the game, the discarded cards are not reshuffled. It is now no longer possible for the player to draw cards out of that deck. Thus, he may only draw one card from the other deck during the recover action dice and draw event cards phase. Playing event cards. Event cards can be played during the action resolution phase in two ways. First, by using an event action die result, which is the Palantir symbol, or by using an action die result 
whose icon matches the symbol on the upper right corner of the card. Generally, event cards are discarded as soon as their effects are resolved. The effects of an event card are explained in its text. Often, some kind of requirement must be met for the effects of that card to apply. If a requirement is not fully satisfied, the card cannot be played. Usually, a card allows a player to take an action that violates the standard rules. This is intentional, but any rule that is not expressly replaced by the card text still applies normally. Some exceptions to the general rules use the following terminology. If a card reads, play on the table, it means that the card is not discarded after it is played, and its effect lasts until a particular condition or requirement is met after which the card is discarded. If discarding a card requires the use of an action die, discarding the card counts as an action. Note that if the condition required to play such a card ceases to be met, the card is immediately discarded. If a card text directs you to recruit units or leaders, these units or leaders are taken from your available reinforcements. The actions indicated by an event card are mandatory. However, it can happen that the effects of an event card cannot be fully applied. In this case, the card can still be played, and its effects are applied to the maximum extent possible. Event Cards Provoking Casualties Several cards describe effects that may cause a player to remove some figures from play. If all the army units in an army are eliminated by the effect of such a card, all free people's leaders with the army are immediately removed, while any Nazgul, companions, or minions are left in the region, unless specified differently in the card text. Combat Cards In addition to their standard event text, all event cards contain additional text located at the bottom of the cards, representing their use as combat cards. Unlike playing an event card for its main use, playing it as a combat card does not require taking an action. Combat cards are played during battle, which will all be explained later. Just like with event cards effect, combat card effects modify the normal rules of the game, and the text of the card always has precedence over the normal rules. Event cards used as combat cards are always discarded immediately after use. Subchapter 6 Armies and Battles The vast hordes of the Dark Lord and the stout defenders of the West play a central role in War of the Ring, and their mustering and employment is crucial. From their initial starting positions, as described in setting up the game, the armies of both players will swell with reinforcements and move to battle according to the following rules. First, let's go over the characters. Playing Free People's Characters Free People's Characters, or Companions, are brought into play in two ways. Companions enter play when they are separated from the Fellowship, and for Gandalf the White and Aragorn, heir to Isildur, 
they're brought into play using a Will of the West die. Use the rules specified by the character cards. Playing Shadow Characters Shadow characters, or minions, are brought into play using a Muster die. This use of a Muster die does not follow the normal rules for recruitment. Use the rules specified by the character card. Moving Characters Characters are moved on the game board during the action resolution phase by using a character action die result, which is the sword icon, or by playing an event card that allows the movement of characters. A character action die result can be used to either move all companions who are not in the fellowship, this is for the free peoples only, or they can move all Nazgul and minions, and this is for the shadow player only. Note, if a character's level is zero, he cannot move, even when attached to an army. Moving Companions When the Free People's player uses a character action die result to move his characters, all companions on the map may be moved a number of regions equal to or less than their level, which will be explained later. However, a group of companions in the same region can be moved to a common destination at a distance equal to or less than the highest level in the group. The Free People's player can create more than one group from companions in the same region, which may then move independently to different destinations. When companions move, they are subject to the following rules. First, they are unaffected by any enemy army. When moving alone or with other companions, they can enter or leave a region that contains shadow units, but must stop upon entering a region containing a stronghold controlled by the shadow player. Second, they can never leave or enter a region containing a friendly stronghold besieged by an enemy army, except as a result of certain event card effects. And third, they cannot cross impassable terrain, which are the black borders. Moving Nazgul and Minions when the shadow player uses a character action die result to move his characters, each Nazgul, including the Witch King, can be moved to any region on the game board with a single move. One, some, or all Nazgul can be moved this way using a single character action die result. The only restriction is that the Nazgul can never move this way into a region that contains a stronghold controlled by the Free People's player, unless that stronghold is besieged by a shadow army. Note that in War of the Ring, for the purposes of rules clarity, the Witch King is considered to be a Nazgul, including with respect to all references to Nazgul on event cards, unless differentiated in the card text by the use of his name or the minion title. The Mouth of Sauron and Saruman do not possess the unlimited movement ability of the Nazgul. They are subject to the following rules. First, Saruman can never leave the Orthanc region. And second, the Mouth of Sauron can move up to three regions if moving alone. Like companions, he cannot cross impassable terrain. He ignores any enemy army when moving alone 
and cannot leave or enter a region that contains a friendly stronghold besieged by an enemy army. Like the Nazgul, any minion moving without an army cannot be moved into a region containing a stronghold controlled by the Free Peoples unless it is besieged by a shadow army. Armies and Stacking Army Composition All friendly army units, leaders, and characters inside a single region form an army. An army can be composed of units belonging to different nations fighting on the same side. If a moving army enters a region occupied by another friendly army, the two armies are merged into a single army at the end of the action. Likewise, an army can be splitted by simply moving part of its units into an adjacent region and leaving the rest behind. Stacking Limit A single region can contain a maximum of 10 army units. If at the end of any action, for example after moving or mustering troops, more than 10 units are in the same region, the excess units must be removed from the game by the controlling player. Units removed this way can re-enter the game later as reinforcements. Army Boxes Along the left side of the board can be found three numbered army boxes. If the size and number of plastic figures happen to be troublesome to physically fit in a single region, the controlling player may move some or all his figures from a region to a free army box, placing the corresponding numbered army counter in the region for identification purposes. Figures can be moved back to the board from the army box at any time. Players must be careful not to exceed the stacking limit when making use of an army box. For all game purposes, the figures in the box are considered to be in the region containing the army counter. Recruiting Troops Recruiting New Units and Leaders Additional army units and leaders are brought into the game during the action resolution phase by using a muster action die result, which is the helmet icon, as an action or by playing an event card that recruits new units. To bring reinforcements onto the board when using a muster action die result, the new figures must belong to a nation at war, which will be explained later. Using a single muster action die result, the player can bring the following figures into play. They can bring two regular units, or two leaders or Nazgul, or one regular unit and one leader or Nazgul, or one elite unit. All newly recruited figures are taken from the player's available reinforcements and can only be placed in a free city, town, or stronghold of the nation to which they belong. When two regular units or leaders, or a combination of the two, are brought into play using a muster action die result, they can belong to different nations as long as both nations concerned are at war, which will be explained later, and each figure is placed in a city, town, or stronghold of the nation to which the unit belongs. Nazgul are always recruited in the strongholds of the Sauron nation. Recruiting Restrictions 
When mustering two figures using a muster action die result, the two figures must always be placed in separate settlements. You cannot muster or recruit troops in a settlement controlled by the enemy. You cannot muster troops in a stronghold besieged by the enemy. Reinforcements are limited to the available figures. Thus, if all figures of a type are in play, no additional figures of that type can be recruited. Shadow units and Nazgul removed as casualties are placed back among the available reinforcements, thus allowing for an almost limitless mustering. All characters, including shadow minions, free people's units, and free people's leaders, are permanently out of the game if eliminated. They should be placed in an area designated for casualties, such as back in the box, and are no longer eligible for recruitment. Using an event card to recruit troops. When a player uses event cards whose effect is to recruit troops in a certain region, or regions, he is allowed to recruit in that region even if the troop belongs to a nation which hasn't reached the at-war step yet. They can also do so even if the region includes a stronghold under siege. Other restrictions still apply, including the figures must be available to be recruited, and the recruitment cannot be made if the region is not free, with the notable exception of a stronghold under siege previously indicated. Army Movement Moving an Army Armies are moved on the game board during the action resolution phase by using either the army action die result or a character action die result, if the moving army contains a leader or a character, or they can do so with an event card that allows the movement of armies. A player using an army action die result can move two different armies, but cannot move the same army twice. A player using a character action die result can move a single army containing at least one leader or character. An army is moved by simply moving its units to an adjacent region. Splitting an army it is not mandatory that you move all units in an army. An army can split itself into two different armies by moving only a portion of its units to an adjacent region. Free people's leaders can never be in a region without combat units, so if a moving army completely vacates a region, all such leaders must follow the army. If the army splits, leaders may choose to either move or stay behind. When a player uses a character action die result to move an army and the army splits, at least one leader or character must join the moving unit. Note that unless used as a subject to move an army with a character action die result, characters, which are companions and minions, and Nazgul are not obliged to move with an army, as they can remain in a region on their own. Movement Restrictions The moving units, as well as leaders and characters, can be chosen freely, as long as no figure is moved twice using the same action. This includes movement effectuated by event cards, unless the card explicitly has different instructions. Thus, 
During the same action, it is never possible to move an army into a region containing another friendly army, joining the two armies into one, and then move the new combined army with the second movement allowance, as this would move the units in the first army twice. For purposes of moving under one action, these armies should be kept separate until both movements have been taken. Note. An army can move multiple times in a single turn, as long as it uses a different action die for each movement. Any region entered by a moving army must be either a free region, which was explained earlier, or an enemy-controlled settlement that is free of enemy army units. These are known as regions that are free for the purposes of army movement. If a region is occupied by enemy units, it cannot be entered, but must be attacked. After moving an army into a region, you cannot exceed the stacking limit of 10 units. If a moving army includes any units from a nation which is not yet at war on the political track, which will be explained later, it cannot enter a region that is inside the borders of another nation, even if friendly. An army can never move into a region that is completely separated from the region the army is currently in by a black line, which denotes impassable terrain. The same restriction applies to characters and to the fellowship. Using an event card to move armies. When using event cards whose effects allow a player to move armies, all regular movement restrictions must be respected. Some event cards allow a player to move one or more armies through more than one region, and the following addition rules apply. First, each army to be moved is defined at the beginning of its movement. It is possible to split the army before moving. The army cannot pick up or drop figures along the way. Second, if an army moves through an enemy-controlled settlement, it captures that settlement. And third, if an army moves through regions containing other friendly armies, stacking limits are checked only after all the multiple movements have been completed. Battle Resolution Attacking with Armies An army is allowed to attack an enemy army during the action resolution phase by using an army or a character action die result, or by playing an event card that allows an army to attack. Only armies belonging to a nation at war on the political track can start a battle. A player can use an army action die result, or a character action die result, if the army contains at least one leader or character, for the following purposes. First, it can use it to attack an enemy army in an adjacent region. Or second, to initiate a siege or a sortie against an enemy army in the same region. That in particular will be explained later. Note that unlike when used merely for movement, an army action die result can only activate a single army for the purpose of attacking. An army using a character action die result to make an attack must contain at least one leader or character.
Note: When a battle is initiated, attacking units do not actually move into the region they're attacking, but instead stay in their present region for the duration of the attack. Only if the battle is over and won, the attacker may move his attacking units into the embattled region. Splitting an attacking army. It is not mandatory for all figures composing an army chosen to attack to participate in battle. When a player is about to attack, he can split the army into two, dividing the figures contained in the region into an attacking army and into a second army, called the rear guard, that will not take part in the upcoming battle. Each of the two newly created armies must contain at least one army unit, while leaders companions, and minions can be distributed among the two armies as the player sees fit. Note. If the player is using a character action die result to attack, the newly created attacking army must contain at least one leader or one character. The army chosen as the rear guard does not affect the battle in any way. It cannot be targeted by combat card effects, its figures cannot be chosen as casualties, and it cannot advance into the contested region if the battle is won. If the attacking army includes one or more figures belonging to nations not at war, then it is mandatory to split the army, leaving with the rearguard any figures which is not at war. Note that all defending figures, which are units, leaders, and characters, are always considered to be part of the battle. Combat Strength and Leadership Attacking and defending army units, leaders, and characters all participate in determining the combat strength and leadership of the armies involved in battle. The combat strength of an army is equal to the total number of its army units, which are regular and elite units. Combat strength determines the number of dice rolled in the combat roll up to a maximum of 5 dice. This means that units in excess of 5 do not add to the number of dice rolled by an army, but an army with more than 5 units is usually able to retain its full combat strength for a longer period. For example, Let's say an army contains three regular units and one elite unit. This army would have a combat strength of four. Alternately, an army of six regular units and two elite units has a combat strength of eight, but will still only roll the maximum of five dice. The leadership of an army is equal to the number of leaders, or Nazgul, plus the leadership ratings of all participating characters, as shown on each character card. The leadership determines the maximum number of dice that may be rolled in the leader reroll, up to a maximum of 5 dice. Often, combat cards and character special abilities modify the combat strength and leadership rating of an army involved in battle. In either case, the maximum of 5 dice can never be exceeded regardless of modifiers. Resolving a battle 
A battle is resolved in a series of combat rounds. During each round, both players follow the steps below. First, play a combat card, which is optional. Second, roll the dice for the combat roll. Third, roll the dice for the leader re-roll. Fourth, remove casualties. And five, choose to seize the attack or retreat. Each step is resolved simultaneously by the players. Both perform step one, then both perform step two, etc. Now let's dive into more details into each of these steps. Step one, play a combat card. At the beginning of each combat round, each player may play one event card from his hand as a combat card. First, the attacker declares whether he wants to use a combat card and chooses the card. Then, the defender declares if he wants to use a combat card and chooses the card. The defender may play a combat card even if the attacker chooses not to. Cards are chosen secretly and then revealed simultaneously. However, the back of the chosen card is always visible to the opponent. It is important that each player carefully reads the text on his combat card before choosing it, especially with respect to its requirements, modifiers, and application. Unless otherwise specified, the effects of a card only apply for the current combat round. Combat cards are always discarded as soon as the combat round is over. For the timing of a combat card, the text on the combat card should establish with reasonable clarity when the effects of that card should be applied during the battle. In the case of any uncertainty as to timing, the initiative number in the bottom left corner of the card indicates which card must be applied first. The card with the lower number is applied first. If the two cards have the same initiative, the effects of the defender's card are always applied first. Note that if a combat card has more than one effect, it has one initiative number for each effect with a different timing. There are a few requirements for the combat cards. Some combat cards have specific requirements indicated in boldface under the combat title that must be met for the card to be played. For example, some cards can be played only if friendly elite units are involved in the battle. Many cards require a player to forfeit leadership, which means that the selected figure or figures whose leadership is forfeited does not count as a leader for the purpose of determining the leadership rating for that combat round. You may not forfeit the leadership of a figure if that leadership has been cancelled for some reason. As for the attack rolls of combat cards, some combat cards allow an additional attack to be made either before the combat roll, which would be step 2, or after the removal of casualties, which would be step 4. Unless otherwise specified, these attacks use the same base hit number as the combat roll. They are carried out in the same manner as the combat roll, which will be explained later, with three exceptions. First, a leader re-roll is never applicable. Second, any modifier to the combat roll granted by the opposing player's combat card does not apply. And third, any casualties are removed immediately, 
and they are not influenced by any effect of the opponent's combat card. Step 2. Roll the dice for the combat roll. During this step, each player rolls a number of combat dice equal to the combat strength of their respective armies, up to a maximum of 5 dice. Each die rolled scores a hit on a result of 5 or 6. The effects of combat cards, strongholds, cities, and fortifications, however, may raise or lower the target number required to hit. Step 3. Roll the dice for leader reroll. After the combat roll, both players can reroll a number of failed die rolls equal to their leaderships, up to a maximum of 5 dice. The result required to score a hit on the leader reroll remains the same as the result required for the combat roll, unless modified by a specific combat card effect. Modifiers to rolls. Combat rolls and leader rerolls can be modified by cards or special abilities. Modifiers to rolls are indicated by add 1, add 2, and so on. The modifier is added to the result of each rolled die, and then the modified result is compared to the number needed to hit. Multiple modifiers are cumulative, so they must be added together to get the total modifier. Here's an example. If you add 1 to the dice in the combat roll, the roll will score a hit on a result of 4, 5, or 6, rather than only 5 or 6. Usually, combat card effects will instruct the player to modify only the combat roll or the leader reroll, or both. Note that a roll of a 1 is always a miss, and a roll of a 6 is always a hit, regardless of any modifiers. Step 4. Remove casualties. After both players have completed their combat roll and leader reroll, they remove their losses. The number of hits the opponent scored determines the number of casualties that a player's army must take. The attacker decides first how to remove his units, and casualties are determined as follows. For each hit scored by the opponent, remove one regular unit or replace one elite unit with one regular unit of the same nation. For every two hits, the player can remove casualties as above twice or can simply remove one elite unit. When replacing one elite unit with a regular one, the regular unit can be taken from the previous casualties, if any. Otherwise, the player takes the replacement from the available reinforcements, if able. Any elite units thus replaced by the Free People's player are placed among the casualties. If no regular units are available in either the casualties or the reinforcements, the elite unit cannot be replaced and is eliminated without further effect. Here are the differences between the Free People's and Shadow player's casualties. As described earlier, casualties taken among the Free People's units are placed aside and are considered out of the game. It is therefore important that casualties not be placed in the same area as the available Free People's reinforcements. The Shadow player, on the other hand, 
does not have this problem, and his units are never out of the game. Shadow casualties may therefore be placed back with the available reinforcements. As for the elimination of leaders and characters, if all the army units involved in a battle are eliminated, then all leaders, including characters, that were part of that army are also immediately removed from play. Just like with army casualties, free people's leaders are permanently out of the game. Nazgul can still re-enter as reinforcements. Characters, including all shadow minions, which would be Saruman, the Mouth of Sauron, and the Witch King, that are eliminated are always permanently removed from the game, unless their character card specifies otherwise. Note that characters in a region without friendly army units are never drawn into battle, as they can exist in a region that contains enemy army units. Except as a result of certain event card effects, characters, which would be minions and companions, are only vulnerable when accompanying a friendly army in battle, and can therefore be deviously difficult to eliminate. And finally, step 5. Choose to seize the attack or retreat. At the end of each combat round, the attacking player has the option to seize the attack. If the attacker chooses to continue the battle, however, then the defender has the option to retreat. If the defender declines to retreat, another combat round is initiated. If the attacking army seizes its attack, then its surviving units simply remain where they were at the start of the battle. If the defending player chooses to retreat, however, his entire army must immediately retreat to an adjacent free region. If no such region is available, the defender cannot choose to retreat. There are a few exceptions to this. An army defending a region that contains a friendly stronghold may retreat into the stronghold itself at the beginning of any combat round by retreating into a siege, which will be explained later. A besieged army, however, cannot retreat. Also, if the retreating army contains a character of level 0, that character is left behind in that region. End of battle. A battle ends when the attacker ceases to fight, the defender retreats, or when one or both armies are completely eliminated. If the defending army is eliminated or retreats, the attacker may immediately move all or part of the attacking army into the embattled region. If an embattled region invaded by a successful attacker contains an enemy stronghold and that stronghold contains enemy units, the stronghold becomes besieged. Fortifications, cities, strongholds, and sieges. Many battles in the Lord of the Rings were fought as armies sought to either defend or conquer a fortress, ford, city, or the like. Fortifications, cities, and strongholds are therefore a central element in War of the Ring as detailed in the following rules. Attacking a city or fortification. During an attack against an enemy defending a region containing a city or fortification, during the first round of combat only, the attacker hits on a result of 6 or higher, instead of 5 or higher. After the first combat is resolved, the normal rules apply.
Attacking a stronghold. When attacking an enemy defending a region containing a stronghold, before every combat round, the defender must choose to either fight a field battle or retreat into a siege. A field battle is resolved normally, as described before. As for retreating into a siege, as soon as the defender retreats into a siege, the region around the stronghold is left open to the enemy, who may immediately advance into the region. If the attacking army chooses to advance, the stronghold is now considered under siege and the battle is over. The defending figures are now considered to be inside the stronghold itself and are placed in the appropriate stronghold box found on the game board, if needed for space considerations, of course. A stronghold under siege can contain a maximum of 5 army units and any number of leaders. Any unit in excess of 5 is removed immediately when a stronghold comes under siege. Units removed in this way can re-enter the game later as reinforcements. A siege ends if the attacking army leaves the region or if at any time the attacking or defending army is completely eliminated. During the siege, the region surrounding the stronghold is considered free for the besieging player while the stronghold itself remains controlled by the player under siege. When a siege ends, move any surviving defenders from the stronghold box to its region on the map again. Conducting a siege. When a stronghold is under siege, the troops within can only be attacked by an army in the same region, using an action die for battle during the action resolution phase. Any battle starting against a besieged army is considered a siege battle. During a siege battle, the attacker hits only on a result of 6 or higher, while the defender hits on a result of 5 or higher as normal. Also, unlike a normal combat, a siege battle only lasts for one combat round, unless the attacker decides to voluntarily reduce one of his participating elite units to a regular one. If the attacker decides to do so, the siege battle lasts for an additional round. It is possible to extend a siege battle repeatedly, as long as the attacker has available elite units to reduce at the end of a round. If a siege battle ends and there are still defending and besieging units left, the defenders are still considered under siege. There are few restrictions to this. First, a defending army under siege may never choose to retreat to an adjacent region. And second, an army besieging a stronghold is free to move away from the region. If no army units are left behind, the stronghold is no longer under siege. A sortie. An army inside a stronghold under siege may attack the besieging army by using an action die for battle during the action resolution phase. A battle in which the attacker is under siege is called a sortie. In a sortie, the besieged army fights a field battle for at least one round, forfeiting the advantages of defending the stronghold. A rear guard, which would explain in splitting an attacking army earlier, may be formed and left behind in the stronghold. Combat is resolved normally, with both armies scoring hits on a 5 or higher, 
but if the attacker wants to seize the battle, the attacking army moves back into the stronghold. The besieging defending army may retreat to a free adjacent region as usual. If the attacking army wins the sortie, it cannot advance outside of the region. Relieving a siege An army in an adjacent region can attack an enemy army besieging a friendly stronghold using the normal rules. The army inside the stronghold does not participate in the battle. The attacking army cannot advance into the region containing the stronghold unless the besieging army is destroyed or retreats. Reinforcing a siege While a stronghold is under siege, the besieging player can move new troops into the region, because it is a free region. This is considered a movement and not an attack. Capturing a settlement At the start of a game, all settlements belong to the nation in which their region is located. A settlement is considered captured when either an enemy army enters a region containing a city or town or unoccupied stronghold, or if all the units defending the stronghold are eliminated and the besieging army still has at least one unit remaining in the region. The capturing player places a settlement control marker on the region to indicate his control. A captured city, town, or stronghold cannot be used for mustering troops or advancing the political track. Captured cities and strongholds award the capturing player victory points for the purpose of determining a military victory. Advance the victory point marker of the capturing player on the victory point track by one step for a captured city and two steps for a captured stronghold. If the original owner of the region is able to recapture it, the settlement control marker is removed and any victory points earned from the conquest are lost. Subchapter 7 The Politics of Middle-Earth The end of the Third Age was a dark time for Middle-Earth. While the basic allegiances of the free peoples were clearly defined, their individual opinions towards the threat of Sauron differed widely. The diplomatic stance of the various nations is represented in the War of the Ring by a nation's position on the political track found on the game board. The Political Track The initial starting position of a nation on the political track marked by the individual nation's icon on the track itself, represents its diplomatic attitude at the beginning of the war. The farther its political counter is from the at-war step of the track, the less inclined that nation is to take part in the conflict. For a nation to be considered completely mobilized and ready to fight, its political counter must be in the last step of the track marked at-war. To further reflect their reluctance in entering the war, all the free people's nations, except the elves, start the nation in a passive state, represented by the grey side of a nation's political counter facing up. As long as a nation remains passive, it can never be moved to the last step of the track, which is at war, and thus be fully mobilized. 
Activating Free People's Nations The political counter of a free people's nation is turned to the active side, with the light blue side face up, when any of the following events occur. Either a region of that nation is entered by an enemy army, or an army containing units of that nation is attacked, or the fellowship of the ring is declared in a city or stronghold of that nation, or when a companion, capable of activating that nation, ends his movement or enters play in one of its cities or strongholds, unless it is controlled by the enemy. Each companion has a symbol in its lower right-hand corner that indicates which free people's nations the companion is capable of activating upon ending his movement or entering play in one of that nation's cities or stronghold. Note that Gandalf, Aragorn, Meriadoc Brandybuck, and Peregrine Took all show the free people symbol rather than one specific nation symbol. These characters are capable of activating any free people's nation upon ending their movement in one of its cities or stronghold. Advancing a political position The political counter of a nation is advanced by moving it down a step toward the at-war step on the political track by using a muster-action-die result or by placing certain event cards. Additionally, the counter of a nation is automatically advanced one step if any of the following events occur. First, every time an army containing units of that nation is attacked. Each battle counts as one attack regardless of the number of rounds fought. Also, remember that when a nation's army is attacked, that nation becomes active. And second, every time a nation's settlement, which would be town, city, or stronghold, is captured by the opponent. Event cards affecting the political track. All cards that initiate an attack by an army can trigger a political reaction, activating and or advancing on the political track. The three ends awake event cards and the dead man of Dunharrow event card can also trigger a political reaction. The effects of these cards are considered to be battles in which the enemy army cannot fight back. All other cards that trigger a political reaction have the political effect explicitly stated in the text. Entering war. A nation that is not at war is considered to be non-belligerent. A non-belligerent nation suffers various limits to the capabilities of its troops. In details, army units and leaders of a non-belligerent nation must adhere to the following restrictions. First, they can move outside their national borders, but can never move across the borders of another nation, including friendly ones. Second, they cannot attack enemy armies, but they can defend if attacked. And third, they can never be recruited using the muster action die result. All restrictions listed here apply even if figures of a non-belligerent nation are attacked with figures of a nation at war. There's one exception to this. Non-belligerent figures are allowed to cross another nation's border when retreating from a battle. If they can do so, the next time they move, they must move out of that nation 
unless they became at war in the meantime. When a nation's political counter moves into the last step of the political track, the nation is now at war. A nation at war is free from the constraints binding a non-belligerent nation. Its armies may freely move across all nations' borders and attack enemy armies, and its troops can be recruited using muster action die result. As noted before, a passive free people's nation can never enter the at-war step, but must be activated first. Characters at War Companions, minions, and Nazgul can freely move and be involved in battle, regardless of the political position of the nation they belong to. In essence, they should be considered already at war. Subchapter 8 The Fellowship of the Ring In War of the Ring, Frodo and Sam are inseparable and are represented collectively as the Ring Bearers. As told in The Lord of the Rings, the two hobbits are accompanied by a number of companions chosen from among the free peoples of Middle-earth. These characters, together, form the Fellowship of the Ring. While Frodo and Sam are bent on reaching Mount Doom to complete their quest, the other companions have a choice. They can stay and protect the Fellowship, or, in time, leave the Fellowship in order to help the free peoples of the West in their struggle against the Shadow. Fellowship Figures Encounters The Fellowship of the Ring is represented in the game by a number of figures and counters. The Ring Bearer's figure, which is Frodo and Sam, indicates the last known position of the Fellowship. It is placed in the region where the Fellowship was last declared or revealed. At the start of the game, it is placed in Rivendell. Whenever the rules or event cards refer to the current location of the Fellowship, it is determined by the position of this figure regardless of the position of the Fellowship Progress Counter. The Fellowship Progress Counter shows how far the Fellowship has traveled from its last known position and indicates whether the Fellowship is hidden or revealed. This counter is placed on the Fellowship track on the game board and is moved a step forward each time the Fellowship advances. The companion figures and counters of which there are seven of, represent the heroes of the Free Peoples. Initially, their figures and counters are placed in the Fellowship of the Ring box on the game board to indicate that they are all part of the Fellowship. When a companion leaves the Fellowship, his figure is moved from the box to the map and his counter is removed from the Fellowship box. The Ring Bearers The Ring Bearers figure depicts Frodo and Sam together, since in War of the Ring, these two hobbits can never be separated from one another or leave the Fellowship. Hence, the position of the Ring Bearers is always the one indicated by this figure. Corruption The growing burden of carrying the One Ring to its destruction is represented by the corruption of the Ring Bearers, a numerical score that starts at zero points but can increase to 12. Upon reaching 12 corruption points, the ring bearers are immediately assumed to have failed in their mission, succumbing to the power of the one ring, and the game is won by the shadow. 
The Free People's player keeps track of the corruption of the ring bearers by moving the corruption counter along the fellowship track on the game board, which also contains the fellowship progress counter, placing it upon the corresponding numbered space. Companion Character Cards Each companion and his abilities are described on his character cards. At the beginning of the game, all companions are in the fellowship and their cards are stacked together to form the fellowship deck. You should set aside the cards for Gollum, Aragorn, Hare to Isildur, and Gandalf the White at the beginning of the game. The deck is placed in the guide of the fellowship box on the game board. As long as a companion is in the fellowship, his corresponding card is left in the fellowship deck. When a companion leaves the fellowship, his card is removed from the deck and placed on the table in front of the Free People's player. Each character card contains the following information about the depicted companion. First, his level, which is a number that is used during the hunt for the ring, which will be explained later, and when moving the companion. Second, his nation icon, indicating which nations the companion is able to activate. Third, his special ability, that is only in effect when he is the guide of the fellowship, which will be explained shortly. Fourth, his special ability, that is in effect after he has left the fellowship. And finally, fifth, his leadership rating, used in battle. The Guide of the Fellowship One of the companions in the fellowship is considered to be the guide of the group during its quest. At the beginning of each game of War of the Ring, that companion is Gandalf the Grey. The guide must always be the remaining companion who has the highest level. In case of a tie in levels, the Free People's player can choose the guide between the tying companions. For example, during the first turn of the game, the Fellowship player could replace Gandalf as guide with Strider, since both are level 3 companions. The Free People's player may nominate a new guide at the end of each fellowship phase, or when, during the course of a turn, the composition of the fellowship changes, due to a character being separated or eliminated from the fellowship. Even when changing guides during the fellowship phase, however, only a character that has or shares the highest level may be designated as the guide. The character card of the companion acting as the guide is always kept at the topmost of the fellowship deck so that his special abilities are readily accessible. When a companion is acting as the guide, only his special ability that is marked guide, if present, can be employed. Any other special abilities listed on the card are not available as they only apply after the companion leaves the fellowship. Gollum as a guide. If all companions have left the fellowship, the ring bearers are alone and Gollum becomes the guide of the fellowship. When this happens, the Gollum character card is placed in the guide of the fellowship box. The Fellowship Track To keep track of the secret movements of the ring bearers, players employ the fellowship track. The ring bearer's figure is used on the game board to mark the last known position of the Fellowship, but only the Fellowship progress counter is advanced on the Fellowship track 
every time the fellowship moves. The higher the number reached on the fellowship track, the farther from its last known position the fellowship is at that moment. Moving the fellowship During the action resolution phase, the Free People's player may advance the fellowship progress counter by using a character result on an action die or by using certain event cards. Every time the fellowship moves, the fellowship progress counter is advanced one step on the fellowship track, keeping the progress counter on the hidden side. After each time the fellowship progress counter moves, the shadow player has a chance to hunt for the moving fellowship, which will be explained shortly. The Dark Lord of Mordor hopes to regain his precious ring by corrupting the ring bearers, killing the companions, or, at the very least, locating the whereabouts of the fellowship. If the fellowship moves more than once in a turn, the hunt becomes increasingly dangerous. Every time that an action die is used to move the fellowship, that die is added to the hunt box after the hunt has been completed. Each added die will provide a bonus to the hunt roll, which will be explained later. There is one exception to this. When the Free People's player moves the fellowship using an event card, the action die used to play the card is not added to the hunt box. Any action dice that the Free People's player places in the hunt box are returned to him at the beginning of the next turn. Locating the Fellowship The numbered steps on the Fellowship track represents the distance, measured in regions, traveled by the Fellowship from its last known position, which in other words is the region where the Ring Bearer's figure is located. The actual position of the Fellowship is determined only if one of two things happen. Either the Free People's player decides to declare the position of the Fellowship, or a hunt for the ring is successful and reveals the Fellowship. Both circumstances cause the ring bearer's figure to move to a new position on the game board and the Fellowship progress counter to be reset to zero. When the ring bearer's figure is moved on the game board, it cannot cross a black border, which denotes impassable terrain. Note that if the Fellowship Progress Counter is on step 0 of the Fellowship track when declared or revealed, the Fellowship must remain in the same region as before, as in fact it has not moved. There are important differences between declaring and revealing the Fellowship that need further explaining. Fellowship declares its own position. If the Fellowship is hidden, or in other words, the progress counter shows the hidden side up, its position can be declared by the Free People's player during the Fellowship phase. This declaration usually happens because the Free People's player wants to have the Ring Bearers heal from corruption in a city or stronghold, wants to activate a nation, or wants to use an event card that requires the Ring Bearers to be in a specific place. When the Fellowship is declared, the Free People's player may immediately move the Ring Bearer's figure a number of regions from its last known position equal to or less than the number on the Fellowship track indicated by the position of the Fellowship progress counter. The Free People's player may choose to leave the Ring Bearer's figure in its current position, if he wants. Then, 
the Free People's player resets the Fellowship progress counter, moving it back to the zero step of the Fellowship track. The Fellowship progress counter remains hidden side up. Note. The Fellowship may enter or leave a besieged stronghold freely. Fellowship is revealed by a hunt for the ring. If the Fellowship is hidden, its position can be revealed by the Shadow player as a result of a successful hunt, or if the Shadow player plays certain event cards. When the Fellowship is revealed, turn the Fellowship progress counter to its revealed side, after which the Free People's player must move the Ring Bearer's figure, as described in the previous section, except that this movement can never end in a region containing a Free People's stronghold or city controlled by the Free Peoples. Important. Once the Fellowship has been revealed, it cannot be moved by the Free People's player using a character action die until it is hidden again. Moreover, a revealed Fellowship is more vulnerable to certain Shadow event cards aimed at hurting the Ring Bearers or hindering the Fellowship's progress. There's certain effect that happens if the Fellowship is in a Shadow Stronghold. When the Fellowship is revealed, and its path traced from its last known position, if the Fellowship moves through, moves from, moves into, or remains stationary in a Shadow Stronghold still controlled by the Shadow player, then a Hunt tile is immediately drawn as if a hunt has been successful, which will all be explained later. If the path is traced through more than one Shadow Stronghold, one Hunt Tile is drawn for each Stronghold involved. This drawing of a Hunt Tile is done only if the Fellowship is revealed by the Shadow Player. Moreover, it is in addition to any other effects of a successful Hunt. Hunt Tiles will be explained a little later. Hiding the Fellowship the Free People's player can use a character result on an action die during the action resolution phase, or can play an appropriate event card, to hide a revealed fellowship, turning the fellowship progress counter to its hidden side. Note that using a character action die to hide the fellowship does not allow it to also move during that action, and the use die is not added to the hunt box. The Free People's player must later use another character die to move the Hidden Fellowship once again. Remember that it is necessary for the Fellowship to be hidden in order to move. Healing the Ring Bearer The Ring Bearers can receive some relief from the burden of the Ring by resting in an appropriate sanctuary. Thus, if during the Fellowship phase, the Fellowship is declared in a region that contains a Free People's City or Stronghold not under enemy control, one point of corruption is immediately removed to a minimum of zero corruption. The Free People's player adjusts the position of the corruption counter on the Fellowship track accordingly. If the Fellowship remains in a City or Stronghold for several turns, during the Fellowship phase of each turn, it is possible to declare them in that region and heal one corruption each time. Entering Mordor Mordor is the realm of the Dark Lord. Its mountains are almost impossible to climb 
and its passes are well guarded. Therefore, some of the normal fellowship rules do not apply there. Sooner or later, during most games, the fellowship should eventually reach either the region of Moranon or Minas Morgul. It is mandatory that the fellowship is in either of these locations during the fellowship phase to begin the last part of the journey to Mount Doom. Separating Companions from the Fellowship While a companion remains in the fellowship, he may not have any influence on the game except for his guide ability, if he is the guide, and for his influence on the hunt for the ring. To participate in battles and in the politics of Middle-earth, he must be separated from the fellowship. During the action resolution phase, the Free People's player can separate one companion or a group of companions, from the Fellowship by using a character action die result, unless the Fellowship is on the Mordor track where it is prohibited. When a companion separates from the Fellowship, the figure of the separated companion is moved from the Fellowship box to the region on the map where the ring bearers are located. The companion may then move a number of regions up to the number of the step of the Fellowship track the fellowship progress counter is on, plus his companion level. If the free people's player separates a group of companions, he moves their figures together to one region that can be reached by the companion with the highest level in the group. The movement of separated companions follows the same rules as that of character movement. Note that if the ring bearer's figure is currently located in a region containing a stronghold under siege, that is controlled by the free peoples, the companions will separate into the stronghold and may not leave. When separating companions, the free peoples player removes their character cards from the fellowship deck and removes the companion counters from the fellowship box as well. If the guide of the fellowship is separated from the fellowship, one of the highest level companions remaining in the fellowship becomes the new guide, or Gollum becomes the guide if all companions have left. Once a companion separates from the fellowship, he can never rejoin. Subchapter 9 The Hunt for the Ring While the fellowship covertly seeks to reach Mount Doom, Sauron is searching tirelessly for the ring bearers and their companions. The Dark Lord gathers rumors and sends out spies hoping to finally reclaim his long-lost treasure. These efforts are represented in War of the Ring by the Hunt for the Ring. The Hunt Pool The Hunt Pool is a set of cardboard tiles representing the effects of a successful hunt. These tiles should be placed in an opaque container at the beginning of the game, such as a cup or similar container, as one tile must be drawn randomly each time the hunt is successful. If, at any time, all the tiles in the hunt pool have been used, return all standard tiles, which are the beige ones, to the pool, but do not return to the pool any special tiles, which will be the blue and red, or any tile who has been permanently removed from the game due to an event card effect. The Standard Hunt Tiles most of the standard hunt tiles, which have a beige background, show a numerical value ranging from 0 to 3. 
This value represents the effectiveness of a successful hunt and is called hunt damage. On Huntal, you'll find three different elements. First, you might have a reveal icon, if present. Second, you'll find the hunt damage, as we just talked about. And third, you will find the stop icon, if present. Some hunt tiles have special icons, which will be described here. The eye icon, which represents a variable numerical value, and the reveal icon, which represents the fellowship being revealed by Sauron. The special hunt tiles. The special hunt tiles, which have either a blue background for the fellowship special hunt tiles, or a red background for the shadow special hunt tiles, are set aside at the beginning of the game and enter play only by the use of event cards. When these event cards are played, the special hunt tile in question is set aside until the Fellowship enters Mordor. When the Fellowship enters Mordor, any such special hunt tiles are added to the hunt pool. If the Fellowship is already on the Mordor track when a special tile enters play, simply add the tile immediately to the hunt pool. Some of the special hunt tiles show a negative value or a random value described as follows. A negative value, which will be minus 2 or minus 1, means that there is no hunt damage and instead the indicated number is actually subtracted from the current corruption of the ring bearers on the fellowship track to a minimum of 0. A die icon means that the hunt damage is equal to the subsequent roll of a die, roll after the tile has been revealed. Such a hunt tile is considered to be a numbered tile for all event cards effects. All shadow special tiles show a small stop icon in the lower right corner, which will be explained later. Hunting the Fellowship The Hunt Roll Every time the Free People's player moves the Fellowship, the Shadow player rolls dice to determine the effect of the hunt. The effect of the hunt is determined as follows. First, the Shadow player determines the hunt level. The hunt level is equal to the total number of Shadow action dice in the hunt box. Note: These dice were placed in the hunt box by the Shadow player during the hunt allocation phase, plus any eye dice that he rolled during the action roll phase. Then, the shadow player makes a hunt roll by rolling a number of combat dice equal to the hunt level. Each result of a 6 is a success. The maximum number of dice that can be rolled for a hunt roll is 5. A hunt level in excess of 5 does not add further dice to the roll. Modifiers to the hunt roll. If the fellowship has moved more than once per turn, the hunt becomes easier. For every action die that the free people's player has placed in the hunt box, the shadow player adds plus one to each hunt roll die result. As we've learned before, the free people's action die is placed here after every movement of the fellowship. If a die result is six or higher after this addition, it is a success. Note. A roll of 1 is always a failure, regardless of any modifier. 
Hunt rerolls. The presence of Sauron's servants or stronghold makes the movement of the fellowship more dangerous. If, during the hunt, the Ringbearers are in a region that contains one or more of what will follow, then the Shadow Player can, after the hunt roll, reroll one failed hunt roll die for each of these conditions that apply. Those conditions are either a stronghold controlled by the Shadow Player, one or more Shadow Army units, or one or more Nazgul. Rerolls receive a plus one bonus for each Free People's die in the hunt box. Hunt effects when declaring or revealing the Fellowship. When the Free People's player declares the Fellowship, certain abilities and events may force him to draw a hunt tile. When this happens, ignore any reveal icon on the drawn tile if the Fellowship has been declared in a Free People's stronghold or city controlled by the Free Peoples. When the Fellowship is revealed, if the Free Peoples player is forced to draw multiple hunt tiles because of a Shadow Stronghold presence, events, and abilities, each tile effect is resolved completely before applying the following tile effect. First, the player resolves the effect of the tile that caused the Fellowship to be revealed. Then, he resolves all tiles related to events and abilities. Lastly, he resolves the tile drawn due to the Shadow Player Stronghold. Determining Hunt Damage If the Shadow Player rolls at least one success on his Hunt roll, including rerolls, the Hunt is successful and the Shadow Player draws one tile from the Hunt pool. If the tile is numbered, its value represents the Hunt damage inflicted to the Fellowship. If the tile shows an eye, the hunt damage is equal to the number of successes rolled in the hunt roll. If such a tile was drawn because of the fellowships leaving or entering a shadow stronghold, or due to an event card, the eye is considered to have a value of zero. If the tile has a reveal icon on it, the fellowship is revealed after resolving any other effect. Effects of the hunt to deal with the effects of a successful hunt, follow these steps in order. First, the Free People's player may use one relevant Play on the Table event card to cancel or reduce the damage of the hunt. Second, then, the Free People's player may use the Guide's special ability. If, after these steps, the hunt damage is one or more, the Free People's player may decide to reduce the hunt damage by taking a casualty, losing one companion due to the hazards encountered by the Fellowship or a fight between the Fellowship and the Servants of the Shadow. Third, any remaining hunt damage must be dealt by using the Ring, increasing the corruption of the Ring Bearers. And finally, fourth, if the hunt reveals the Fellowship, the Fellowship is now revealed. Sometimes, revealing the Fellowship may cause the draw of a new tile. Note. If, at any time during the hunt resolution, a new guide is appointed, this would happen, for example, when you use Meriadoc's in Peregrine's guide ability, or because the guide has been eliminated, then the ability of the new guide may be used immediately, if applicable.
Taking Casualty If the Free People's player takes a casualty, he must eliminate one companion. The Free People's player can decide between either taking the guide as a casualty or randomly picking one companion, excluding the ring bearers, but including the guide, from the fellowship. If the Free People's player decides to suffer a random casualty, the Shadow player randomly selects a phase-down companion counter from the fellowship box. The drawn companion is eliminated from the game. If the hunt damage is higher than the level of the eliminated companion, including an eliminated guide, any excess damage must still be taken as corruption by the ring bearers. If the hunt damage is lower than the level of the companion, he is eliminated nonetheless, or in other words, it is not possible to wound companions. Using the ring When the Free People's player uses the ring, he advances the corruption counter on the fellowship track by a number of steps equal to the hunt damage. The One Ring and the Quest for Mount Doom Even as the Dark Lord desperately searches for the One Ring, he cannot imagine that someone would bring it to Mordor. Consequently, he does not look for the ring within the borders of his own land. In War of the Ring, from the moment the One Ring reaches the borders of Mordor, events are set in motion that are mostly beyond the control of the players themselves. The real struggle now lies between the will of the Ring to return to its master and the determination of the Ring Bearers to pursue their mission to its bitter end. The Burden of the Ring The physical, mental, and moral struggle of the Ring Bearers is represented by corruption. Corruption is added to the Ring Bearers each time that the Ring is used to counter the effects of a successful hunt or as a result of various event cards. Corruption is removed from the Ring Bearers by resting in a friendly city or stronghold or by the use of certain special abilities and event cards. Each time corruption is added or removed, the Free People's player adjusts the corruption counter on the Fellowship track accordingly. As soon as the corruption counter reaches 12 corruption points on the Fellowship track, the Free People's player immediately loses the game. The Fellowship in Mordor In Mordor, the power of the Dark Lord is everywhere, and the burden of the ring becomes heavier with every step. The Mordor track is the final part of the quest to destroy the One Ring. The track is represented by the circles superimposed on the Gorgoroth region on the map. Note that the circles are not actually considered to be part of that region, and the Fellowship is not considered to be in the Gorgoroth region or any other region when on the Mordor track. If the Fellowship is in Minas Morgul or Merinon during a Fellowship phase, the Free People's player may decide to enter Mordor. In this case, immediately proceed to the following steps after fully resolving the declaration of the Fellowship's position if necessary. First, place the Ring Bearer's figure on the first step of the Mordor track, labeled with the Elven numeral zero. From this moment on, the Fellowship is considered to be on the Mordor track. 
the fellowship progress counter is no longer advanced on the fellowship track, but it is still used to show whether the fellowship is hidden or revealed. Second, create a new hunt pool by placing all eye tiles previously drawn back with the remaining tiles of the hunt pool, and also add any special tiles put in play by event cards. Do not place back in the pool any eye tile which was permanently removed from the game. Special Rules The following special rules apply when the Fellowship is on the Mordor track. Companions in the Fellowship can never be separated, either as a result of using action dice or as the effect of special abilities or event cards. Anything that would normally separate a companion removes him from the game instead. When the Free People's player tries to move the Fellowship during the action resolution phase, do not roll the hunt dice. Instead, automatically draw one tile from the hunt pool. The effects of this tile are applied normally as for a successful hunt, except for the following. First, if the tile drawn shows an eye, the hunt damage is equal to the number of dice in the hunt box, including free people's dice previously used for moving the fellowship during the same turn. And second, normally, the Fellowship advances one step on the Mortar track when moving. However, if the tiles shows a stop icon, the Fellowship remains on the same step and does not move forward. The Fellowship is still required to be hidden in order to advance on the Mortar track. If the Fellowship is revealed, the Free People's player must, as normal, use a character action die result to hide the Fellowship once again. If at the end of the action resolution phase, the Free People's player has not attempted to move or hide the Fellowship on the Mordor track during that turn, one corruption is automatically added to the Ring Bearers. When the Fellowship has completed all five steps on the Mordor track, the Crack of Doom has been reached and the Free People's player wins the game. That is, unless the Ring Bearers have reached 12 corruption points. Subchapter 10. Winning the Game There are four ways to win the game. Two victory conditions may be triggered at any moment during a turn, while the other two victory conditions apply only during phase 6 of the turn, which is the victory check. If any of these conditions apply, the game ends with a victory for one of the players. Note that lower-numbered victory conditions take precedence over higher-numbered victory conditions, if two or more are achieved on the same turn. The Ring-Based Victory Conditions The most important goal for Sauron is to reclaim the One Ring, while the most important goal for the Free Peoples is to destroy the Ring. For this reason, if either of those two events occur at any time during a turn, the game ends immediately without waiting for the victory check phase. First, it's the corruption of the ring bearers. If the ring bearers have 12 or more corruption points, they fail their quest. Sauron regains the ring for himself and the shadow player wins the game. Or second, destroying the ring. If the ring bearers figure is on the crack of doom step on the mortar track and the ring bearers have fewer than 12 corruption points, 
the ring is destroyed. Sauron is utterly vanquished, and the Free People's player wins the game. Military Victory Conditions In The Lord of the Rings, if Sauron had succeeded in destroying the nations of the Free Peoples, even the destruction of the ring could not have resulted in a proper victory for the Free Peoples. At the same time, if the Free Peoples had successfully challenged Sauron militarily, the Dark Lord would have needed to greatly focus on the struggle against the armies of the Free Peoples, and it would have been much easier for the Ring Bearers to reach Mount Doom. Thus, if at the end of a game turn any of the following two conditions apply, the game ends with the military victory. First, the Shadow conquers Middle-earth. If the Shadow player controls Free People's settlements worth 10 or more victory points, he wins. And second, Sauron is banished from Middle-earth. If the Free People's player controls Shadow settlements worth 4 or more victory points, he wins. Military victory conditions are based on the control of a settlement. For the purposes of military victory, a player controls an enemy settlement if it has that player's settlement control marker on it. Each enemy city a player controls is worth one victory point, while each enemy stronghold a player controls is worth two victory points. Players use their victory point markers and the victory point track to keep count of the victory point value of their conquests. Chapter 11 Multiplayer Rules In a 3 or 4 player game, each player represents one of the major powers in The Lord of the Rings and controls some of the nations and certain characters. The 4 player game In a 4 player game, the player responsibilities are broken down as follows. For the Free Peoples, the first player controls Gondor and the Elves and the player 2 controls Rohan, the North, and the Dwarves. As for the Shadow player, the first player controls the Witch King, as well as the Sauron Nation, and the second player controls Saruman and Sauron allies, which would be Isengard and Southron and Easterling nations. All the rules in the standard game apply, with the following exceptions. At the beginning of the game, the Gondor player and the Witch King player take the leading player tokens. At the beginning of each turn, excluding turn 1, the leading player in a team passes the leading player token to his teammate. Event Draw On turn 1, each player draws one card from each of their respective event decks. On the following turn, each player draws one card from one event deck of his choice. After drawing cards and discarding excess cards, players in the same team may agree to swap one of their cards with their teammate. The players cannot show or discuss the cards. They can only tell each other if they want to swap one card or not. A card is swapped only if both players agree. In a four-player game, each player's hand limit is four cards instead of six. The Fellowship Phase The leading player on the Free People's team decides whether to declare the Fellowship or not and who the guide of the Fellowship is. The Hunt Allocation 
an action roll. The leading player on the shadow team decides how many action dice to place in the hunt box. The leading player of each team rolls the action dice. Action Resolution The Free People's team goes first. The non-leading player on the Free People's team chooses an action die and uses it for any of the nations he controls or for any action relating to the Fellowship or any individual companions, such as moving or hiding the Fellowship or moving companions on the map. Then, the non-leading player in the Shadow team uses an action die followed by the leading player on the Free Peoples team and then the leading player on the Shadow team. The actions are all taken in that order until both teams have used all of their action dice. If a player decides to pass an action, he is still entitled to take his next action after the opposing team has taken their action. Limits on actions Each player only controls certain nations and can only use his action dice and event cards to recruit, move, or fight with armies of these nations. Only the player who controls a nation may move the political counter of that nation unless the special ability of a character is used. Here's a short summary of what we heard so far for the multiplayer rules. For the Free Peoples, the Gondor player controls the Gondor and Elven nations. The Rohan player controls the Rohan, North, and Dwarven nations. Any player may move or hide the Fellowship. Any player may move or separate companions. The effects of the hunt on the Fellowship are decided and applied by the leading player. As for the Shadow Armies, the Witch King player controls a Sauron nation, the Witch King, and the Mouth of Sauron. As for the Saruman and Sauron Allies player, he controls the Isengard and Southrons and Easterlings nation, as well as Saruman. Any player may hunt the Fellowship. Any player may move the Nazgul, but only the Witch King player may recruit new Nazgul. The number of action dice allocated to the hunt box before the action die roll is decided by the leading player. Mixed Armies If, after an action, units and leaders controlled by different players are in the same region, they may remain as separate armies or a mixed army can result. If the armies remain separate, each player keeps the control of his own units and leaders. If the total number of units of the two armies exceeds the stacking limit, the players must remove one unit each, starting with the non-leading player, until the limit is respected. The troops of the two players may become a mixed army if both players agree to this. They must become a mixed army if the region is attacked. The controlling player of a mixed army is the player who controls the highest number of army units in the region. In case of a tie, the player with the highest number of elite unit is controlling the player. If there is still a tie, the current leading player is the controlling player. Only the controlling player may use actions to move or attack with the mixed army and play combat cards for that army. If the number of units changes, 
the control of the mixed army can be transferred to the other player. Note, however, that the controlling player may not deliberately split an army during either movement or attack so that he loses the control of the acting army. A player may regain control of his unit in a mixed army by simply using an action to move these units out of the region with the mixed army. A mixed army is still subject to the political restrictions, such as not being able to move across another border of any non-belligerent nation that is part of a mixed army. The Events Normally, event cards can only be used by a player if they apply to a nation or characters they control. The icon in the lower right corner of the event portion of a card indicates which player may use that card. Cards that do not have an icon may be used by any player as appropriate. Southron and Easterling Elite Units In a multiplayer game, when Saruman is in play, each Southron and Easterling Elite Unit, as well as each Isengard Elite Unit, is considered a leader as well as an army unit for all movement and combat purposes. The three-player game the three-player game uses the same rules as the four-player game, but there is only one free people's player who plays normally as in a standard two-player game, with the following exception. The free people's player cannot use two consecutive actions on the same nation. For example, he cannot use two consecutive actions to recruit and move Gondor troops. He can use two consecutive actions on mixed armies, but not on the same individual army. For example, he can move a Gondor army once and then a Gondor-Rohan army, but cannot act twice with the same Gondor-Rohan army. Victory Conditions Each team wins as in the two-player game. To assess individual victory within team, if the shadow team wins, count the victory points value of strongholds and cities captured by the nations of each shadow player and subtract victory points of strongholds and cities they lost. The player with the highest total wins. As for the free peoples, if they win, the player who lost fewer victory points for strongholds and cities conquered by the shadow wins. And that is it for chapter 23 of the Book of Rulebooks, War of the Ring, a game by Roberto Di Meglio, Marco Maggi, and Francesco Nepitello, and published by Aris Games. My name was Mathieu Labrosse, and thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in chapter 24, in which we'll cover the game Ceylon.